fans, welcome back ladies and gents to episode number two of season two of Opera Omnia. This is the podcast that looks exclusively at director's body of work, their Opera Omnia if you will. And in season two we're looking at Peter Strickland, the kind of avant-garde British indie filmmaker who has a deep love for, I would say, the, the genres of kind of Euro horror, uh, Euro sex, and um, very Euro, Euro and a lot. Um, he has returned in the second movie after our conversation uh, to do with all the ups and downs and Catelyn Varga. Returned with a, <laughs> what most people would say, once you get your funding, you then make something a bit more conventional. But he returns in his second movie with the Berry and Sims studio. Joining me for the entire season two to look at the films of Peter Strickland, my resident co-host for season two is none other than the very talented Richard Glenn Smith. Richard, how you doing? I'm doing good. Hello, and thank you so much for letting me ruin the show again. <laughs> Our conversation on Catelyn Varga, I listened back to it, I was like, we... I'm not saying that we are the dream podcast couple, but I am saying at the same time, we're kind of a dreamy podcast couple, if you know what I mean. It, it was very, very soothing listening back to the edit. I was like, yeah, there's a lot I'm digging about this one. And whereas that movie was a, a movie that was a first time watch for you, uh, as we were speaking just off yes. air before I hit record, you had seen Barbarian Sound Studio before, but it has been several years since this revisit. Is oh, that right? Yeah, it had been... Oh my god. Ooh. What year was this? 2012? 20, I think 2012, yeah. Yeah, it's probably been at least 5 or 6 years since my first viewing. Now, when how did you I always kind of find it quite interesting on how people discover movies like this from filmmakers they aren't familiar with. Is yeah. is this a case of you sought this one out or was like was this a kind of Oh, Richard likes those sorts of movies, so Richard, you should check out this movie because you like these sorts of movies. Uh, this was me going out of my way to find it mm. because the word on the street, which is now very contentious, <laughs> is that this is this was a giallo, that this was a, a tribute to the bygone era of the giallo. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, well, I have to see it. Now I'm a little more skeptical of every tribute to the giallo. I'm... <laughs> You know, I, I'm not I'm not down on them. I'm not saying they shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, but this movie is so different than what I was expecting. Yeah. I was expecting uh, murders, at least obvious ones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I was expecting just, you know, whatever. I, you know, th this is definitely more of a, a Suspiria, Italian horror, late 70s mm -hmm. vibe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as much like the cookie cutter uh, giallo plot to me. Yeah, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think as well. What's really interesting about this movie in particular, and it's something like, when you said about like the, the kind of oh, there's new giallo movies out, or these directors are like to me, very few of them. And uh, interestingly enough, in the last week, I have uh, watched an Argentinian uh, kind of new giallo movie called Crystallize, which. Um, I found I found interesting in a lot of respects, but I have a, I've realised I have a big issue with people trying to recapture the feeling vibe of a Jalo movie, and that I think the 
navigate the. I think we. I think if you break down what a giallo is to brass tacks, I think, in a lot of respects, people think that that's easily replicate uh, replicatable on screen. <laughs> and what I find is it's never because it always feels like a, a movie by tick box. You know, the lights purple and pink. Yep, tick. Um, you know, weird kind of like score. Yep, tick. Um, everyone kind of overacting a little bit and weird camera angles. Yep, tick. Glove killer tick, and that's yeah. Those are the the elements. You know, a bottle of J and B somewhere in the background. You, those are the elements of a jalo for sure. But they very seldom have the feel. And to me, that's what makes a jalo more than a lot of the individual parts is the actual flow and feel. There's something instantly recognisable about an Argento jalo when you sit and watch it because there's just this kind of manic flow and feel all the way through the movie compared to a Sergio Martino giallo, which feels a bit more softer, a bit more refined. But the, yeah. you know, there, there's, there is a flow there and I, out with maybe something like um, A Mare or The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears, I have found very few modern giallos that have that flow, that have a feel. I mean, they, they, it kind of looks like and kind of smells like and maybe tastes like a little bit like a Jallo movie when you watch some of these other ones. Francesca's one that I remember everyone telling me I would love. And I was like, yeah, it feels like Jallo by committee. You know, it feels like someone's had this really cool idea for, I think, but just didn't, you know, didn't grow up in that environment or work in that, uh, in that system that predicated mm. what, a, what an end result would be like. It's really difficult because to me, they're always there's always something just missing a little bit and I'm with you on this one like when I saw Bavarian Sim Studio for the first time what I had been told is if you love movies like and then there's a huge list of Jalo movies then you sir will like Bavarian Sim Studio and I sat and watched it and an infamous story about I couldn't get a copy um, quickly so I went online and did one of those nasty pirate things. Um, I, yeah, no, I felt so dirty after it. Um, and I, I downloaded it, and um, I downloaded the version which was not subtitled. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's a huge swath of this movie. I did not have a fucking clue what was going on. And weirdly, it, it, it gave me a different appreciation for the Gilderoy character. Because most of this movie, he doesn't know what people are talking about around him, um, and I kind of felt like him. I, was like, I don't know what they're what they're on about. It doesn't look good though. Uh, and then watching it back once I once I you know got my proper copy and since have purchased it, um, it's a movie that I mind more out of every time I watch. And I'm I didn't know it was as contentious until last month you gave me the heads up that this is a kind of down the middle you must pick a side uh, you're either pro um, as a Jallo fan you're either pro yeah. Bavarian yeah. since you're against it but having now done a bit of deep diving it's quite it's quite vicious out there people get really hey, catty here's the thing <laughs> I you know getting back just real brief to to the uh, homage mm. Giallo genre that's kind of appeared they, they can nail the aesthetic, yep. but I totally agree with you. They're not nailing the story. Mm-hmm. They're not nailing the writing. They're not nailing that flow mm-hmm. that makes it a giallo. Yeah. And it, it's just too late for that to ever recapture it yeah. because it's 2020. But I love that people are trying mm-hmm. because they're doing something that at least is fun to look at. Um, and I'm not like... I, I want to 
mm, how can I put this? I'm hoping that somebody will nail it. Yeah. That they will totally. I mean, even Argento, when he did uh, the film called Giallo, <laughs> he freaking did an homage to himself in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Did an homage to that era by you know recreating the '70s in that film, and I those are the best parts of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And the thing I the thing that drives me crazy about the Giallo or just cult fandom in general is people, you know, they get real worked up. <laughs> I don't and know what I'm you mean. <laughs> Dude, I'm one of those people, like, I feel like someone has stabbed me when they talk shit about, like, my favorite films. And I have to back away and remember that I'm a psycho. (laughs) That everyone, except for a very small handful of people, loathe Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. And I need to understand that I'm not alone. But that's one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. And that's never going away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've tried. I cannot exorcise <laughs> that demon. And I get so butthurt when people hate on Rob Zombie, especially that one. Mm-hmm. And it, I have to reflect on myself what makes it, it like difficult for me to talk to other horror movie people. Yeah. And Giallo fans are fucking crazy. We, they're, they're the most catty bitchy of all. And it's so... <laughs> It's the thing about it is like like Jallo fandom as a whole is is kinda now it's it's a two tiered Jallo fandom. There's those that grew up with those movies Mm -hmm. and know them for what they are, you know, take them for what they are and saw them run their course. And then there's a whole swath of people that got into them much later on when, you know, you're boutique labels started putting them out on Blu-rays and people are gravitating to them and finding them. I'm doing a a show just now where, and you're aware of this, I'm doing a show just now which is giving like a through line of what I think are not 10 essential viewings of Jalo movies to to kind of get you into it, but an exercise in 10 movies that will round out just the basic grounding of if you want to get into Jalo movies, you want to continue along the God knows how many there are out there, but there's a lot. Um, you know, here's, here are some good signpost movies that show different muscles being flexed within the subgenre, uh, different takes, um, you know, whether they're, you know, male-driven Jalo or female-driven Jalo, all, the, all these different aspects as a way to work through them. At the end of them, though, I barely, you know, I know my 10 barely scratches the surface of it, and most of and most of these movies are the ones that are more widely available. There's a whole swath of these you just can't get, you know, unless you are deeply, deeply uh, scouring the the deep web or the dark web. Um, to you know, to, to get them, uh, they, you know, they're not they've not been brought over yet. But I think there's an arrogance that comes with it as well, where much like when when you predicate a genre on it is only a giallo if it was made between this period and this period and it had to be made Mm -hmm. in Italy and it has to... When you set so many rules on that, you are ostracising a huge amount of what could be considered or maybe should be considered. I've always contended that when you watch uh, Donald Kamel's White of the Eye, it's basically tenebrae. You know what I mean? It's it's an American giallo movie. Uh, It's an American giallo movie made by a Scotsman. Um, So, like, you you watch that movie and it has all those... But to put forward that, you will have a, a... a side of the internet that will embrace you 
hug you mm-hmm. and say yes Duncan you look like that but then you have another one that are like burn the witch um, and it's like it's a strange it's a strange kind of duality from a subgenre that in itself didn't take itself that serious it was a very cynical like the, the, a lot of these movies were oh that's what's selling Right, let's yeah. let's make a hundred of them. <laughs> Can we make a hundred of these movies? It was a big old cash grab. Of course, yeah. of course it is. And what's interesting is, like you're talking about the, the kind of the newer movies and waiting to see if one you know one can land. You want a new one can land, and we are within a year of seeing the James Wan Jalo movie. So this yeah. James Wan, massive, like arguably one of the most prominent names in horror. At the moment, he certainly, whatever he touches, he has that Midas touch, whatever he touches makes a lot of money. Uh, whether you like all the movies or you don't, it's, it's by the by, he is greenlighting a lot of projects, he's putting his name to a lot of projects, and he has said, you know, this this movie, I'm, I think it's called The Maligned, um, is going to be a Jalo movie. And I'll tell you right now, if this movie is successful, be prepared. <laughs> be prepared for the second wave. Um, because that's just how things work. And I'm not against it. Um, no, I want to see that. I totally want to see just, it. I, I, don't, I don't participate in the debates over what is and isn't a yeah. Giallo yeah. very much anymore. Um, if something is just got all of those pieces, like mm-hmm. like you were talking about, wide of the eye, which mm-hmm. shame on me, I still have not seen. Oh man, point. you're gonna love that movie. Ooh, duly noted. <laughs> uh, the one that came up and got hot in one of the Giallo groups I'm in was uh, it wasn't even me. Someone else started this shitstorm. <laughs> uh, they were talking about Don't Look Now. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And how Don't Look Now? It's it takes place in Italy. Mm-hmm. It has murders. Mm-hmm. It has the all of the, the the gloomy, dark, labyrinthine streets of, of Venice. Mm-hmm. It's just got it's got the cool music. Mm-hmm. It's got the mysterious atmosphere. Yes, it's got the supernatural stuff to it and everything. And there was a bunch of people who were like, "Yeah, bro, that's a giallo, bam." Yeah. But there was one dude who <laughs> lost his mind. Not only was he angry that we were talking about it, and I was I was kind of getting shitty with him because he was being so rude. Yeah. And he ac- accused all of us of being hipsters. Oh, God. And he hates our a, hipster attitude. Such a cool like, argument as well. <laughs> yeah, all hipsters want everything to be a giallo. Yeah. And they all have skinny fucking jeans. The hell is he talking about? Yeah. But no, I, yeah, I, I just find these groups so cute. Like, mm. don't even mention Suspiria being a giallo. Yep. <laughs> um, good friend of mine, uh, you know him from Hello, This is the Doom show, Simon. Who mm-hmm. boy, he will make some memes to troll that group. <laughs> he will be like, he made a, this fake article with Dario Argento that said, Hey, bitches, Suspiria is a giallo. Get the fuck over it. <laughs> There was like just a furor of freaking explosive shit. It was so funny. Oh man! Oh, what is it? Is it the because it's the the weird like because the the whole conversation. What I love about it is there's a there's a good argument you could make, like a really good argument with plenty of evidence that you know Giallo isn't horror. You know what yeah. I mean? And up until exactly. a certain point, Jallo isn't horror, and when it does transcend over into horror, it's more akin to slasher 
which I, I know mm-hmm. comes later, but it's more akin to slasher than it is to the you know the original template set by a Bava or you know uh, an Argento. So I mean, it's it's really interesting. But but you do like I think what well, it's easy to get sucked into those those arguments. The, the interesting thing about Babarian Studio is when you listen to um, Strickland talk about it, Strickland says that the interest to him for the project wasn't the movies because he, he liked the movies that he was watching but it was the soundtracks yeah. it was the way they created the way that they essentially the craft behind the craft you know this is this is how the, the idea the fascination of the actual the work that we're going to create in these massively beautiful avant-garde scores which he hypothesizes that you know if you played these scores over any other genre of movie you know, they would be an Oscar, Oscar contention or, you know, be winning awards left, right and centre. But the fact that these artists could only put them over these movies, which were, you know, seen by the kind of critical elite as puerile and, you know, wild, wildly chauvinistic and all the rest, that ultimately it meant that they were disregarded for what they were, um, which I find really, like, an interesting point. Also the same idea that, the the terror and horror in this movie is through the sound design, and as a result, you're never going to see the movie. We're practically reviewing it, but you're never going to see right. what it is that you would see in any other movie which deals with the making of a movie, which is the movie itself. Well, you never see that. You, he doesn't need to show you that because mm-hmm. the reactions on Toby Jones uh, in particular, but the reactions and the sound design of the movie itself. Is the terror and yeah? Well, I mean, I suppose, I suppose we should swing into this movie before we review it all in the intro. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting one. What's, what's really super interesting about it is we move into the last two movies we're going to be discussing. Um, when we talk about the Duke of Burgundy, that is essentially a, a Euro sexploitation movie, um, but just done with a softer edge, and it owes a lot to the kind of less full-on kinkier works of someone like a Jess Franco. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I didn't hear the same arguments there. <laughs> like, this is not a Euro sexploitation <laughs> movie. Um, and you know he's 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 final bit like the weird how their fan base is just not and like not that contentious at all. Those people, they're just horny. <laughs> they don't want to argue. <laughs> they're not like Giallo, Giallo fans. They're all pent up. Yep. They're gonna release the juice by watching some Franco, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the final movie, uh, in Fabric, he's toying with all three. He's 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 toying with some of the stuff he's done in Catelyn Varga. He's definitely toying with a bit of Suspiria and Jallo, and he's definitely toying with um, a bit of the the kind of Eurosex stuff as well. So um, he's, he's a guy who I just find him like supremely interesting. He's I I don't know who the audience are for his movies, and that always fascinates me. Like I'm going to do a rape revenge movie, but I'm going to not going to do it in any way, shape, or form that you will recognise as a rape revenge movie. Consume, and then people are just like, well, I, mm. and then we say, with this one, it's like I'm going to make a a, a Jallo movie, um, which for all intents and purposes doesn't really feel or kind of resemble a Jallo movie, and might upset a lot of the fans that would get the most out of it. It's kind of it's the. He's, he's, he's just a, like, a supremely fascinating character that I... I think more directors like this should be around that are making movies that 
first and foremost are super interesting to them as opposed to what's selling big just now oh the kids like this let's make a movie like this <laughs> he doesn't appear to be that guy and interestingly in in the interview uh with alan jones um for fright fest uh, i think alan asked him that question he's like i'm just wondering who this movie's actually for because you are aware that and he, he says it himself there's going to be a ton of jalo fans out there that are just going to call you on you got that wrong you didn't do that right you didn't and isn't that your base isn't that you're aiming for and he's just like i'm just hoping that people you know watch the movie and enjoy it and i'm like that's the answer every director should have <laughs> like never appeal to a fan base just make a movie that you want to make and if there's fandom out there for it, hopefully they'll find it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what would be funny if, if he really was serious, he's like, I don't understand why this isn't, isn't a huge hit. <laughs> and then the producer is just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> Who is this guy? Uh, we're going we're gonna to jump in and talk about the very intense studio, which does feel like a bit of a impregnable sort of uh, tour de force of cinema when you start to get into exactly what's happening to the central character. Uh, I have my theories. I'm sure Richard has some theories. You will hear those theories. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, just wait wait till we get to me talking about guitar pedals. <laughs> You're going to be like, oh, shit, I brought a gear nerd on here. Help me. There's no way out of this. There's no way out. Um, stuck in a perpetual loop. By then, we'll be speaking Italian. Um, but that's giving away too much information. You're going to hear the trailer for the movie when we return. Myself and Richard are getting into Barbarian Sim Studio right after this. Si. E qui. It's beautiful and a big collaboration. Begin. I think what I'll be working on this sort of film. What's your problem? I'll do this stuff. After all, you're here to do a job. This is not horror film. This is a Santini film. Fred admired in you was that you were an artist. That you were doing this with a love. Uh, little water is. Is there any fresh marrow? Francesco tells me you are trying to escape. There is no reason to escape. Who's there? The droid. This is going to be a fantastic film. This game's up, boy. And we'll jump through hooks. Don't be afraid. A new world of sound awaits here. A new world that requires all your magic powers. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Barbarian Sim Studio. This is the second movie in the Strickland filmography. Um, I was just talking to um, Richard here just off, <laughs> just before I record that I, this morning I was getting myself ready for recording, getting various bits and bobs, pulling up the IMDb notes, etc. And um, what I love about IMDb is, like, if you refresh a page, um, you'll get a different review that pops up. Uh, and I kind of settled on this one. So uh, this one is from uh, Darren1538908810, which, I mean, that's the rolls off the tongue. Um, <laughs> and it was from September 2012, so right when it got released. 
he went on to write, uh, so I've read the raving reviews, uh, not one bad one to be found, which is odd, as I heard at least five people leaving the cinema tonight muttering the words, what a crap film this was. I understand that it's a take on 1970s horror movies, blah, 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 but imagine if you hadn't seen one. The sound is amazing, interesting, atmospheric and amusing. Did they really make sound effects like that back then? But once you realise that this film is all about that, you begin to lose interest. Personally, I'd like a storyline, but there isn't one. As for the last 20 minutes, I have absolutely no idea what that was all about. Being a massive Kubrick fan, I'd normally love surreal scenes like this, but it all felt like we'd ran out of ideas here. Let's just add a twist to make it more interesting, which doesn't work at all. If you like self-indulgent, stylized films, then you'll love this one. I prefer films with emotion that move you. This couldn't move me quick enough to the exit, though. So... This is a, a man that enjoys emotional hooks and movies that aren't self-indulgent but claims to be a massive Kubrick fan. I which... legit <laughs> I legit thought he was going to say it made a move to the toilet at the end. <laughs> it moved my bells. Yeah, um, well, Kubrick is so emotional, I understand. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing that got me, like, self-indulgent, emotional... You know, like, I, I don't know, I don't know. But he does raise an interesting point, and that interesting point is... If you've never seen, and we're not the best place to discuss this, but if you've never seen an Italian movie from the 70s, um, does this movie work? Or is this just an exercise in a weird bit of mystery surrounding Mm. a guy making some noises in a studio? And like I say, we're not maybe not best place to cover it, but we we should definitely swing into... A review. This is written and directed by Peter Strickland. Remember when he made that Catelyn Varga and I said he wouldn't get any money from anyone? <laughs> like, no one would give him any money. So he <laughs> shot him himself. Um, in the case of this one, after his previous movie won some awards, surprise, surprise, the checkbooks opened, um, at, <laughs> you know, for film grants in the UK, and he took their money and he went away and made Barbarian Sims Studio. Uh, the movie stars Toby Jones and a lot of people whose names are foreign and I will mispronounce, but I feel I should try anyway. Uh, Cosimo Fusco, Antonio Mancino, Fatima Mohamed, Sal- Salvatore Lecusi, uh, Chiara Diana, uh, Eugenia Caruso, uh, Guldo Adorni, uh, Joseph Cherez, Paul Toth, and some other folks, uh, including the character names, are amazing in this, though. You have a <laughs> resurrected witch and the goblin. Because um, that's who they are in the movie. Um, the synopsis is, the sound engineer's work for an Italian horror studio becomes a terrifying case of life imitating art. Which is an okay synopsis. Not a great synopsis. Um, because this is not a horror movie he's working on. I don't know if you... You know that, but the director's adamant he's not working on a horror movie. <laughs> oh Even boy. though, in subsequent two conversations after it, he keeps referring to the horrors on the screen. And I'm like, mm. uh, So, Bavarian Sound Studio, at its core, is about a guy called Gilderoy, who is a kind of small-time um, sound designer, sound creator, sound recorder, um, audio producer, who is based in England, who primarily does work on kind of nature documentaries 
um, in the UK. He somehow found himself hired uh, by this, you know, Italian director. Now, he, this guy could be a number of different Italian directors, all molded into one by his look and the way he talks. Uh, but he's, he's found himself working on a project called The Equestrian Vortex, which is a great name for a movie. <laughs> Fucking love it. Uh, because he thinks that because it's got the word equestrian in it, it's going to be about horses. What he doesn't know, <laughs> what he doesn't know is he's actually been asked to come across and do sound design and record sound for what feels like uh, maybe uh, a kind of Fulci directed Suspiria sort of movie yeah. it's a witchcraft <laughs> movie but it's an extremely viral, violent visceral movie and our buddy here Gilderoy has never seen anything like this in his life and there is the language barrier in that the people are working with will frequently, some of them can speak English but for the most part will frequently speak Italian around them and it's a case of, you know, learn Italian if you want to know what we're saying. And his work on the movie um, is becomes um, very immersive and it slowly starts to crack the psyche of the character um, at its core. And we essentially just follow this journey right through until he's splitting point. And this will be the point that the dude was talking about where he said they threw a twist in. And I don't know if this guy knows what a twist is. <laughs> That's literally not what happens. The movie just recalibrates in a different direction, not a twist. Um, but yeah, so we're essentially following through his work in this one. Um Strickland, like I say, made this movie because he was infatuated by the sound design and scores of Giallo cinema in particular, which is why having a guy like Richard on this show will pay dividends because this guy has books out about Giallo. So I come pack in heat, motherfucker. Right? I've got my I've got my Richard in my hand right now. He's ready. He's ready to go. Uh, he's locked and loaded. Um, but yeah, I, there's. Let, let me start it this way, right? Um, on your first viewing of this movie, going into it, having heard some people refer to it as a giallo, at the end of it, were you disappointed in what you've seen or did you feel that the movie had transcended your expectations? Yeah, it, this went in the complete opposite direction of what I was expecting. I was in the back of my brain mildly disappointed that there wasn't like a black gloved killer other than you know the, the guy running the camera yep who we never see running, running <laughs> yeah we never <laughs> see this guy we just see his black glove which we, we, yeah, no, I, so yeah i was kind of like bummed that it didn't spend more time in the streets of italy with like chase scenes and you know the the the, the like the ennio morricone runs like the, the like i was waiting for the something that wasn't the soundtrack from the fifth chord mm. but sounded like the soundtrack the fifth chord to kick in and you know of course you've got to have a, a spurned lesbian and an inheritance scheme of some kind but no this was just so strange and so small it's a very small movie that folds in on itself and it plays into the you know, things i'm obsessed with i love movies about making movies mm-hmm and to for a film to really focus on something rarely seen in these films which is sound design mm -hmm. and i am a big nerd for 
uh, recording studio stuff. I love like um, reading about uh, Brian Eno and his mm-hmm. pioneering stuff. Um, I love the what Sir I think it's Sir George Martin did with the Beatles, where they break the machines that they're given in order to achieve these bonkers ass sounds, and you literally see uh, Toby Jones's character in this breaking the tape player. Yeah. And taking it apart and getting these strange sounds by quite literally making spaghetti out of the freaking tape and having it looped around his coffee mug and around pencils and all over the room to get these insane sounds as his mind begins to slip you kind of see where his psyche is being stretched out you know like so i'm i'm nerd for everything this movie was throwing at us mm. so that disappointment was very small because, of course, I'm open-minded. I want to see something <laughs> weird, and this shit is weird. Yeah, I think oh, I love it. I think what, what kind of caught me um, by like by complete surprise watching the movie is like I like I know, believe it or not, I have picked up on the fact that some of these seventies movies might be dubbed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, shocking. <laughs> I was like, wait one second here. Um, either that or sound moves a lot quicker than light, which I know is, a, you know, physics would argue that. <laughs> their mouths are moving and the sound is coming afterwards. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like, have always been fascinated by like the stories of... It just feels like an extremely long way to make a movie and then when you consider how quick these movies were coming out that you know these these studios must have just been factories um because you you're literally talking about we are filming a film in silence and then we're going to bring it in and then we're just going to have a sea of different actors come in speaking different languages so we can market it to different markets we're going to add in all the sound effects kind of post as well and it's going to have to all be mixed down with you know if, if you've got an Ennio Morricone in the background who just so happens to be able to pull a score at his back pocket and that's going to be there and it's all just going to be like the, the craft that goes into that I had never spent any time thinking about I just used to always kind of feel that it felt like it would take a lot longer than just filming like the audio and then just like dubbing that you know like overdubbing the bits where the audio didn't sound great and to be put in that environment to see that and to have since hear people say that it is very authentic to the you know the era and how things were done that just like the you know the the movie the movie fan in me, you know, that wants to know how things are constructed. Uh, you know, what was so fascinated by this movie um, and that level. Then I add on top of it the the specific kind of nods to the genre without copying it. Because the problem with the, the genre in which people have a little fit over is that a lot of those movies are intentionally derivative um, because it might be one, you know, there's a script flying around that has been made several times just with different endings. Because <laughs> like, we'll just do it that way. Um, by directors who were job bodies, you know, like the, the very, you can tell when an Argento is really interested in a project he's doing, and you can tell when he's not. You can tell when Fulci was dealing with something that he thought he had a lot to say about or something he thought he could put his own spin on and the ones that he didn't. Um, Martino's another great example of a guy who I don't think was ever really all that interested in giallos at all, but 
you know made made really interesting ones but these yeah. guys are doing four movies a year at times or three four movies a year mm-hmm. all in different genres all in different styles so um, to see a movie that kind of deals with a director who maybe is disingenuous like maybe is that sort of guy who in the moment everyone needs to be impassioned about this artistic venture that's going to be put out on the screen but if this movie doesn't make any money then it was never that much to him anyway and he's off to the next project and all those little elements I find really interesting but to me the big selling point to this movie is Toby Jones I think like Gilderoy is a wonderful character who is the epitome of the almost the the Italian representation. There's so many digs at England in this. I love it uh, about the British in general. That kind of stiff upper lip sort of mentality. They're, and they oh, see that is something that really got me with this. It fooled me on this viewing. <laughs> it probably fooled me the first time. So the the Italian is like telling him like, "Oh, you English, you're so cold." Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. And so your brain kind of locks into, "Well, this guy is very quiet. Maybe he is cold." But he's not. No. Nope. Toby Jones, uh, I hope he's won an Oscar so on something. Hopefully he'll get a Lifetime Achievement mm-hmm. Award because he's so good. Oh, man. But anyway, he he's not a cold character. Um, Gilderoy, right? Yeah, Gilderoy, yeah. Gilderoy. I, I was going to say Lord Falderoy or something. <laughs> hey, I, got a, I got a cat interrupting my train of thought here. Hold on, kid. Hold that thought, buddy. So, but he's, he's this gentle... And in quiet, like, obviously frail of psyche, mm-hmm. you know, he lives with his mom. They have a very close relationship. You think, oh, he's got a letter from his wife. No, this guy's not married. And he's just, he's just a nature enthusiast and he's a total master of his field. Mm-hmm. He takes very, like, takes so much pride in his work. But then he rescues this spider. Yeah. He's got this freaking this granddaddy long legs spider, which I'm not afraid of spiders, but I'd be intimidated with this thing crawling <laughs> on me. But he totally rescues it. And you're like, okay, this guy should not be doing anything with this disgusting ass movie. No, of course which, not. <laughs> you know, we, we'll find out the director's real intentions later. Mm-hmm. For, for, but it's like, man, I just, I just can't get over him in this. And it's, it's like, you've got to trust your, your director with a film this weird. Yeah. I, I mean, all you the, can see they have that going. All the rationale as well for why, like, cause the, the, some of the best conversations are almost a critique of the genre itself from Gilderoy's perspective. You know, he's approaching it like a lot of people approach those movies that were just not acclimated to, you know, because there's a there's a big jump, a huge jump between what was being released in seventies um, British cinema in particular, and what was being released in Italy. I mean, yeah. Italy is like on speed when it comes to their horror movies. It is like a, an orgy of violence, and um, I, I, you know, the, you know, I, I crave that sort of stuff. But I understand that at the time, people would just not. And when he asks, you know, about like, does it have? Do, do we have to have that on the screen? Do we have to be doing that? Um, and the director's response of, well, you know, it's what happened in, you know, in the past and in the history and all the rest. And that's what directors say all the time. Whether or not most of them are being genuine is another 
is another story. You know, um, which I love. And it's once again, like as, from Strickland's point of view, it's what makes the movie kind of genius. In that, like, Strickland is deliberately not giving you that on the screen. Yeah, he's deliberately not giving you, it, and it's still just as effective as actually. In fact, in some cases, more effective than what you're actually seeing on the screen. So he's almost, like, Strickland on some level is almost the counterpoint to that director. Well, you have to put it on the screen because this is how you get an impact and this is how you educate people as to how horrible the past is. And then Strickland's like, well, I, I'm not going to let you see it. I'm just going to let you hear the sound and listen to how effective that and is. I, I want to see the film that they're making so bad. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, uh, obviously vaginal violence notwithstanding <laughs> i don't not a huge fan of that in, in in the italian movies or any movie ever but i'm trying to think of an analog to a real movie mm. that because what this sounds like oh yeah is suspiria if if like ruggiero diodato <laughs> you know of cannibal um holocaust mm-hmm. had wanted to make this and he got advice from the dude who made Patrick still live. Yeah. <laughs> like, because he's like, whoa, whoa, aren't you going to stick a hot poker in the vagina? Yeah. Because if you don't, you're not really making a movie. You're not, you're not plot, doing a movie, guys. <laughs> the plot sounds a lot like Suspiria, which oh, yeah. you glean from it. and But then the, the, the violence just sounds so not, like, it sounds even too much for Argento. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, and this isn't like, like, uh, I just I, I'm struggling to find because Joe D'Amato with his his movies, mm-hmm. I could see maybe like um, sky. It just doesn't go that far. Does, no beyond the do. darkness, <laughs> yeah. You've seen Beyond the Darkness, oh, right? Yeah. Of course I have. <laughs> so, so that 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 makes me think of that one a little. Mainly fingernails getting ripped out, but yeah. you know, whatever. Right? Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't equate to. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't equate to anything, and that's what I think is kind of fascinating about it. And also the the idea as well that oh, you have the like. It's never like from the moment this movie starts. Gil, we never see Gilderoy in England, right? The moment this movie starts is him essentially being like the symbolism is palpable. Uh, is essentially him being directed into a room by you know a, a black kind of cloaked cloaked wearing sort of character someone very much dressed up like an (laughs) ominous entity you know bringing them into this environment the you know the the director himself feels like a bit of a kind of at times a bit of a cult leader you know he's got his harem of people that are just willing to do whatever he wants in essence you know he's crafting the you know the, the horrors so to speak and you know from the moment he's been brought in here he either has to give himself over to the movie or try and reject it. And it was interesting is when he gives himself over to the movie, I mean, the ultimate end of this movie, the last shot, we can get to that, but as it's the kind of precursor to that is him, you know, fully aware that he's going to inflict pain on someone to get the reaction that he wants in there. So essentially, he has become is it uh, Giancarlo? Uh, the is it Giancarlo or is it Francesco? I can never remember. Uh, he's basically become the 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 kind of the producer. 
you know, who's in that room, who is, like, easily, at times, one of the most... Like, see when he praises Gilderoy, I, f- I smile, but see when he chastises him, I feel about this small, which is very small. Because um, he's got, got some wonderful put-downs, and he's... Oh, yeah. He's had... Once again, he's the, we need to get this movie done and it has to be perfect and it has to get out and every day we're in here is money and we need to, like, and he's, and once again, you hear stories of, you know, we have five days in this studio, so let's get it done and that's a terrible scream and why are you here and give me what I want. And the Italian system being as it was, like, horrible to women. (laughs) Dude, yeah, and that's what this movie, I think, is about. Yeah. You, You think it's this movie just about this this um sausage party <laughs> with these fucking guys doing their thing and then all of a sudden you, you it, the revelation through uh through uh, uh Fatma's Mohammed's character mm-hmm. Sylvia yep this is about women and this is about women being completely used and abused by this system mm-hmm which you know and of course obviously there were exceptions mm-hmm. but you know and this but this is a very um um harvey weinstein kind of a, oh, yes. a, a something that would um what's the word i'm looking for something that would kind of like uh encourage or um, empower pieces of shit like that to to take advantage of these women and even after the director is caught quite red-handed oh yeah yeah <laughs> And it nearly destroys the entire production when when she enacts her curse mm-hmm. on the project, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, he's right back at it again with hiring a new girl. Yeah, the next woman that comes in is exactly the same. Um, yeah, she's exactly the same. Uh, not not much of a screamer either. Uh, oh which uh, you know, as I I think I think it's, and then when you st- so essentially. Gilderoy works on this project. He slowly has to become more involved with the project. Yeah. Uh, so originally when he comes in, he's really he's in the booth and he's like recording the sound and doing his weird and wonderful craft uh, to make things all sound spacey and weird and creepy and all the rest. And then uh, is it the the Massimo brothers? Um, they, they are away for a few days, so he has to actually go down and make the cutting noises, the squelching noises. And all the rest, right in front of the yes. screen, showing him this horror. And we, we ah. mentioned about the, the vaginal trauma earlier on. He has to basically pour it's like oil or water onto a hot skillet to yeah. create the sizzling noise. And he can't get the timing right. And the reason he can't get the timing right is he's absolutely fucking horrified about yeah. what's on the screen. And what what kind of um, what comes after this is a conversation with the director. Where the director is basically, at, you know, as you know, I hear you're trying to escape. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! He's like, no, no, it's a misunderstanding. He's like, and he he feeds him a grape, and the scene is so uncomfortable. He feeds him a grape, and then basically says to him, you know, I'd like, uh, I feel a change in you. Like you're a different person now. You understand? Um, yeah. But just before he feeds him that grape, uh, which is we're going to get to this in a sec. The symbolism is fucking rife. Um, he asks him if he believes in God. And then baptizes them by giving them communion with a grape. It's fucking nuts. Uh, but he, he basically he says in that like in that previous scene, you know, do you believe in God? Like <laughs> Gilderoy's answers. I don't want to get into the technical questions. He's like, I don't want to do this. Not here because he's in Italy, and ah. most of these movies were made by <laughs> Bible thumping hardcore Catholics. 
Like, yeah. So. <laughs> and, and yeah, th- that plus they're drawing him in to make him complicit. Yes. In, in, yes, the violence that they've made in mm-hmm. this film is staged, presumably. Wow. <laughs> Maybe they just made a really uh, convincing or unconvincing snuff film. But they, they, so he's, by taking this grape, by, by taking communion, as mm-hmm. you pointed out, with these guys, he suddenly becomes an accomplice. So he's yes. smashing these melons to imitate killing a woman. So just like the 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 sizzling of the frying pan and the, the grapes and him tearing hair out, which is tearing uh, mm-hmm. radishes mm-hmm. from their uh, from their leaves. He becomes a, an accomplice. He becomes complicit in their shit. Yeah. And then when he really loses it, <laughs> after he becomes a dubbed character in the movie, yes, <laughs> he becomes their little like asshole toy. Yeah. Who's that? That sounded dirty. Um, sorry, he becomes their freaking uh, instrument of evil to to torture Elisa to try to get her to scream properly. Yeah, and by that point, he's completely lost his humanity to this fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's probably worth saying this show is sponsored by the Dirty Asshole Toy. Um, you can pick up yours by using the code Opera um, up in the checkout, the top right hand. You know, Duncan, I can't find mine. I cannot figure out where mine went. Hold on. No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh my god! It's um, yeah, like y- y- you're right as well because like after this scene here, so we're working up through a series of different scenes. Most most of it is to in- kind of ingratiate you into the culture and the system that they're doing. There's this ongoing kind. I was going to say a gag is not funny. It would fucking frustrate the ever loving fuck out of me. Um, about he's basically paid to fly across, and he's got a receipt. And he wants this receipt paid for, and um, oh he keeps getting the runaround. Um, you know, uh, when he goes, when he goes to speak to the producer, producer like keeps like padding them off. Eventually, directs him to the kind of head administrator, who says this is not her department. She doesn't sign off on it, and it goes backwards and forwards. And then there are comments throughout this movie where you'll say, you know, you're being paid to scream. And then the woman says under her breath, you know, if the check ever comes, you know, or that, you know, if I ever see a payment for it, <laughs> which is it's just the idea that just this system was maybe a bit corrupt. <laughs> like, um, mm. Or maybe they were reluctant to put, like, if you forget that you're supposed to be paid, maybe, did we have an agreement? Was that agreement in writing? Or was it like a kind of on the phone conversation? Did we shake hands? Like, all these sorts of elements in the background. So he's got all this going on and, on there and then just before he cracks like when the, like he's no longer tucking his shirt in anymore he's no longer doing his hair uh, he looks a bit you know, he tries to do a threatening phone call which is maybe my favourite thing you listen here Sonny Jim <laughs> like you know I will have a word with you and then the reply that comes out which is the kind of the, the shining you've always been the caretaker moment when the guy's like that listen we can't there was no flight to Italy on the day that you flew in which then you're like huh? Uh-oh. And then the movie kind of breaks, and or a couple of scenes in between, but the movie breaks, and then we get a kind of protracted scene of like a nature documentary that Gilderoy's clearly worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we come back from that, we have kind of reset the time. So we're now back near the beginning of the movie. Uh, Gilderoy is now dubbed in a manner which, if you've watched a lot of movies from this time period, feels very, very authentic. Um, And 
he is he's back kind of stuck in this almost this causality loop where he basically has to go back through it all over again mm-hmm. and the, the kind of final shot this is where a lot of people kind of lose the movie and I, I don't uh, to me I have a, a strong view on it but at the very end of the movie he kind of there's another power cut he kind of drifts off and then he sees the screen kind of light up uh, and as he walks towards the screen he appears to be enveloped by the light and um, and then we cut to credits um, and we're saying earlier on in the movie we do like we're saying we don't see the, we never see the equestrian vortex but we do occasionally see scenes played out in the screen and one of those scenes specifically is Toby Jones I believe reenacting the scene that we would have seen as he um, violently murders uh, is it Sylvia? He violently murders Sylvia on screen um, whilst commenting that you know it's back to that you know this isn't the sort of movie I thought I was going to be working yeah. on well it had the questions in it the, the, the producer like that well she does ride a horse in it <laughs> Like, <laughs> <laughs> here's here's the thing. Like, I watching this again, and my brain trying to handle all that's coming at me at mm. once here. And I had to seriously take all the religious stuff mm-hmm. and just push it down away, so I could take in, so I could pay attention to the sound, so I could pay attention to the dialogue, so I could pay attention to all the other the, the emotional stuff that all the female characters are going through, and what Toby Jones is going through how much I want to cut the dicks off of these fucking guys that he works with. I got to focus on that because like my brain was going to explode if I started to focus on the religious stuff. So now I have to watch this again mm-hmm. and hey, no problem. Yeah. Uh, but when the change comes, when the movie breaks and becomes a nature documentary and then rewinds, my only complaint about this film's uh, pacing, which I could see driving some people crazy. Oh yeah. I wish somehow they could have held off on the film breaking as long as possible just a little bit longer i wish because he has this dream where he's one of the sacrifices of the witches Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the most like um on screen horror thing we see is suddenly there's a witch yeah with a very long knife in his bedroom and i can't tell who that's supposed to be I, i wasn't sure if that was one of the actresses we've seen before, or was that with someone else? Mm-hmm. I can't really. I think I, I, I didn't. Need I did, yeah, I didn't pa- yeah, I didn't pick up on it. I, I thought it was one of the actresses, yeah. but um, I, I could easily be wrong on that. And you might just be like someone else that they've, he's brought in that has a look. Right. Um, dude, that but that when that breaks and he becomes their little flunky in the studio and and tortures uh, Elisa. I wish they could have just saved that for as as late in the game as yeah. possible because yeah. the f- i remember my first viewing seems very different i remember things i want to say the disc i rented from netflix because it used to have discs y'all <laughs> was it it didn't have the subtitles for the italian at the end ah. there are some prints i've heard mm-hmm. that after he gets flipped the subtitles turn off you don't know what anybody's oh, saying. Oh fuck! But, and that might have been something that happened to me with this film. But I just remember the the ending being structured differently. I doubt I watched a totally different cut. Yeah. But it just oh, that's the that's the only thing I could see giving credence to folks who are like, oh, you know, this nothing happens after that. But it it's all important for Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the well, what is the psychological collapse of the character? And weirdly, it, you know, this movie would double bill 
really, really well with, and it'd be two totally different viewing experiences, but would double double bill really well with uh, Videodrome. Because um, there are elements of Videodrome in here. Like, we are, you know, yeah, the, the idea yeah. of, you know, the... The consumption of the media changing who you are. Well, I mean, the end of the like the end of Videodrome. Spoiler alert for Videodrome. Um, James Wood becomes you know the violence. He becomes the new flesh. He becomes a Videodrome <laughs> essentially. Um, so he, he becomes part of the thing he, he becomes obsessed with, and like in Bavarian Sound Studio, the the enveloping of that character at the end by the film is, you know, almost his psychological acceptance of what it is he's doing. Um, and th- there is, there's a, there's a, there's an interesting element of that where I think if you're not invested with Gilderoy as a character um, and his turns and just, I think going back to the original review that I read right at the start, I think there is a, a whole, I think this movie plays to lovers of art house cinema very well. I think it plays to people that have a love of the specific genre that it is being homage to. It plays relatively well. But I mm-hmm. think if you can get the the kind of crosswinds of both those, so people that like a bit of art house horror but also really like a bit of that Italian stuff, I think it also plays really well. But I think the movie is deliberately almost impenetrable in the last 10 minutes and it, it certainly puts out its stall as to here are all the elements that are important but it's really upon the the viewer to to make that decision whether or not the I mean I read an incredible article two years ago which hypothesized that you know Gilderoy actually never went to Italy and this is a mm-hmm. psych- psychological break of him in his hut Essentially, oh, you know, wow. and, he, and he shed because of the you know, the fact where the movie starts, he's already there. The fact that the movie opens, the credits for Barbarian Sound Studio are not Barbarian Sound Studio, they're the Equinox Vortex. Um, so, you know, that's what the credits are, you know, they're for a movie that doesn't exist. And he's already in Italy, and he's already, you know, like he's all these all these different factors that come in, like his flight apparently never existed. All these, like, so oh, it was man. a really I well, like it was a really well written out case about you know this theory around it, and which I mean, and that do, I love movies that do that. I, I sometimes feel that people get infuriated by me talking about movies where I'm like that. Well, you know, you get out of the movie what you take into the movie um, and there's a time and a place for movies like that but Berry and Sound Studio to me is one that it envelops so well the time period like the the room like when you see that that room that they're all working in you can almost taste the nicotine in the air you know it just has that like it's a movie that's very rich and it's an immersive experience and it's best played loud and it's best watched in a dark room and it's best yeah. just putting yourself into the traumatic mindset of of this guy Gilderoy who I'm 100% with you the perception of him being kind of closed off and you know lacking warmth is not indicative to all the evidence in this movie to the contrary of him trying to save bugs you know as a him being attentive to yeah. other characters, the fact oh, that there's man. a there's a comment in here where he makes the UFO noise using the bulb and the, yeah. the bits of string, and the comment is he does this for children. 
So this is not a clothes character. This is a guy who no, no. who lo- loves the joy in which hey. the craft that he can do cre- can create. All but- you need to see is and my favorite scene in the whole movie is when he has the uh, the delay unit, like mm-hmm. the tape delay, and um, Sylvia walks in, and she's hearing what he does to her voice yeah. through that tape unit. And the wonder that she sees, or, or she, ha, ha, she sees all right. Yeah. She hears the wonder coming from this machine, and she's like totally like spellbound by this thing. And you see a real connection because he truly loves his work. Yeah. And he's he's a magician, and he likes showing these tricks to people. And it's like just this sweet moment. And of course. Uh, I, it's probably Francesco or the director. Somebody comes in and cock blocks him. Yeah. <laughs> dude, she was like, I need to sleep with Toby Jones. Yeah. Which is what all women say. Yes, all of them. Especially watching um, freaking uh, Captain America. Mm. And then when he gets turned into a computer later in, <laughs> in Captain America uh, Winter Soldier Man, women are like, holy shit put his brain in one of those sex dolls and I'll sit on that thing. I may be off topic, Duncan, but I love like, ah, the sound stuff with those old tape delays. Like folks, I have way too many guitar pedals because (laughs) I am somehow I've managed to stave off a divorce from my wife. Mm. She lets me buy these things, but the things I have the most of I'm a delay pedal junkie. Mm-hmm. I have like six. Oof. You're supposed to have one. One. <laughs> I would have 25 of them if I wasn't, <laughs> you know, actively trying to stay married. And what's so fascinating about him running the tape all over the studio and having these little tricks and and needing an entire sound booth and thousands of knobs and switches and little dealies mm-hmm. going at once those are now in your hand in one little box mm-hmm. this sounded kind of erotic as i was talking about it <laughs> knobs right all you need to do is just turn these little boxes on and boom you have these sounds that it took a sound engineer a couple of degrees yeah. from a from a, a freaking uh technical college mm-hmm. and years of experience to achieve and they're right there at your fingertips so i want more of this weird ass sound design in horror movies because damn it the shit's cheap now yeah oh yeah long-winded answer to (laughs) something you didn't ask me for you're welcome it's yeah i'm like like the best moments to me in the movie are the moments where we see the craft being done. I, what's interesting is, and I, I tried it as a, a small experiment um, yesterday when I was watching the movie again, is that I replayed, the, the, there's a couple of sections in the movie where you're seeing specifically how sound is created. And yeah. what I did this time around was I replayed those scenes but closed my eyes to listen to them. Um, and like just the sound work in general in a movie which is about creating sound work is fucking nuts and kind of the last point I want to touch on is like I have always loved like always loved Strickland's choice of collaborators that he uses to bring in for um, his soundtracks 
and he brought in Broadcast to do the soundtrack for Bavarian Sound Studio, which is fucking amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. Um, and what's really interesting about that is it feels kind of the same as the work on, you know, the, the like the Bavarian Sound Studio. It feels like these guys are in there and crafting sounds and all the rest and maybe watching the movie, like maybe going through the same process, maybe watching a movie and seeing someone react to something and then these start bringing in... It's just like the idea, the kind of almost Inception-esque idea of a movie within a movie and someone soundtracking a movie which deals with a guy who's watching a movie. Like it's like it blew my mind, but it's it's a wonderful addition and it's a bit of detail that I think is sometimes overlooked when discussing Bavarian Sim Studio is how great the soundtrack is. The soundtrack is brilliant. Oh I I'm buying this score. Oh like, yeah. I am buying this. No, I can't live without it. Yeah. So cool. Like a lot of years ago. Yeah, so broadcast behind that one. Uh, interestingly enough, only in the last two weeks, because I, I, every month I search for the soundtrack because I, I, I needed to have it, and it finally arrived um, this month, was the soundtrack for M Fabric, um, which is done by... Uh, oh, fuck. Um, it's going to annoy me. It's going to annoy me. They have a, a name which I mispronounce every single time. And it is... Where is it? You're here. A Cavern of Antimatter, which is the greatest name for a band ever. Um, I just like... Too good. But uh, the In Fabric soundtrack finally dropped. <laughs> and it's it's fucking incredible as well. Like, absolutely Damn, amazing. Dude. And it's a, I think it's just a small detail. He, he seems to be... Gravi- I think it's to do with his degree. I think he has a degree in... Um, like art and sound I think is what his degree is actually in so he pays a lot of attention to that and people I think overlook it but it's an integral part of how well Barbarian Sound Studio actually works is the fact that there's a score to this movie um, which in itself is an interesting aspect considering this movie is about someone scoring a movie um, which is really cool speaking of scores see how I did that wait I thought of something oh, we did not it. mention. We'll oh, see it then. No. Here we go. So there's no J and B in this movie, sadly. There isn't. I looked. You know I looked. <laughs> it keeps me from staring at the bottle I have in my house and shuddering. <laughs> um, although my wife found a way to infuse it with different uh, fruit and uh, honeys and stuff to make it tolerable, it's brilliant. Mm. I'll get her. I'll get that recipe from her for you, sir. Yes, please. But. Susie Kendall. Yes, Susie Kendall. First time from freaking Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Yep. Torso. She is in this as an auxiliary screamer. So when they can't get the scream they need, <laughs> they call in a ringer mm-hmm. and have her do her screams for it. And I, I, she is like not blonde. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> immediately, my brain's like, that is a different person. Hair is different. <laughs> But yeah, dude, so I just thought I'd throw yeah. that in there. First film in 35 years. <laughs> Peter Strickland's like, you know, we're in England and we're all related because <laughs> of the Queen. We're all brothers and sisters, so come on, Auntie Susie. <laughs> it was the first movie she'd done in 35 years is coming back. And once again, when you take into account that the reason we have this movie is that Peter Strickland in 1992 stumbled across a screening of Bird with a Crystal Plumage um, 
and it all comes full circle. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Um, last little bit of trivia, actually, because we're doing a little bit of trivia here. Uh, the title of the fictional studio refers to Kathy Barbarian, the US soprano who was married to Luciano Berio, the pioneer of electronic music and the key influence on Strickland's film. So there we go. Oh, See, now i got to find it. I'm assuming that dude made records too. Um, I think he actually scored a Jallo, if memory serves. So, um, oh, I'm sure he did. I want to look that uh, up. A couple of the titles sound like Jallos. So, um, but yes, so and, and that's in direct reference to that as well. Um, you know that what we do here is something slightly different, Richard, when it comes to scoring. This is a, the kind of Highlander style of. Um, of scoring, I'm not saying that because I'm Scottish uh, and we all live in the Highlands apparently um, but there can be only one sitting atop of this season so uh, it is my duty to ask at this point after viewing the second movie in the Strickland catalogue is Catelyn Varga, which was by default top of the tier because we'd only seen Catelyn Varga at that point, does it remain the best Peter Strickland movie or has Barbarian Sound Studio uh, taken its throne away from it? What, what, where are you coming in just now? After two movies in, what is the best Strickland movie? Well, since this one is when he was looking for who the audience was, <laughs> you know, that question Alan Jones asked, it was me. Yep. Uh, so I'd say Barbarian Sound Studio tops uh, Catelyn Varga as far as uh, just rating them by something I want to watch again, like, immediately. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. It's, um, I, I think it's the more refined movie. It's the more abstract movie. It's the one that plays more to my taste, if I'm honest. And we both loved Carolyn Varga, but, you know, Barbarian Sim Studios uh, is a tour de force. Uh, if you don't like it, that is fine. I know a lot of people out there get a bit sniffy about stuff like that. Um, and yes, yes, we didn't go into all the individual Jalo references, but they are there, and if you've got your eyes open, you'll see them. Um, one of my favourite details, like overall about the movie, is the fact that like all the trauma scenes that we get in the movie are instigated by a black glove, uh, which I just think is a nice little detail. <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> very nice. It, yeah, very very nice. Uh, right, that is a review of um, Barbarian Sound Studio. Uh, a lot of fun. Now, Richard, we have another two movies still to do so we are halfway through the season proper and the next movie we're doing is the duke of burgundy from i want to say that was 2015 2016 i may be wrong my times might be wrong maybe 2014 one of those years it came out um and it's a movie that is a for lack of a better term warm soapy hand job to to the the kind (laughs) of soft kind of core erotica of specifically genre erotica of the the kind of 70s um names like jess frank will get thrown around but it's not as harsh as a dress jess frank yeah jean roland yeah yeah definitely jean roland um what's brilliant about this movie is very much like a bit of Barbarian Sims Studio is all that sexy stuff you think you're going to get you will not see in this movie it's also a movie that has no men in it uh, which I will watch that movie every day of the week uh, there's enough movies nice. with men in them nice. uh, but yeah that's where we're going to next now if memory serves you've seen that one as well yes? yeah I it's another one that I, I was able to to uh, acquire mm. quote unquote and then uh, when you graciously invited me to do the series I was like, well, holy crap, I better have a real copy of it. So I got the Blu-ray of that and the still unseen by me in fabrics. I got both of those 
on my shelves. Waiting. I can't wait. I cannot wait to get to Fabric. I've never been so excited to go back and watch. Like, I just can't. I, I just want. To hear, I just want to be there just after you've seen it. Um, we. I'm going to schedule it better. I'm going to schedule it better. When you were like, "Dude, we're doing this," I am legit going to watch it twice <sighs> because I'm getting to the point with this where I'm like, "Yeah, one viewing a hundred years ago, <laughs> and then." watching it like already drunk on the halloween candy we're not giving out Mm -hmm. because no one's trick-or-treating and just being like oh i should take a half a page of notes on this for duncan (laughs) i'm gonna be gonna be the in fabric expert i'm gonna wear fabric (laughs) while i'm watching uh, we'll, both po- we'll both podcast in a haunted red dress. I can't wait. Um, I can't what, wait. Not, like wear two? Like <laughs> I always wear one under my clothes. <laughs> you do a ton of really cool stuff um, out there that people should be checking out. As well as a couple of books that are available on the Amazons. Remind the the peeps out there where they can check out your stuff, your music, your podcast, and where they can get your books and what they're called. Well, first I want to talk about my street cred, <laughs> which I destroyed last time. I was trying to remember the name of a director that makes like boring long movies mm. during our Catalan Varga. Like, and all I could think of was Adam Sandler. Yes, yes. Well, did you cut that from the show? Uh, I think I've memory serves. I, I hope you didn't. I, I hope it's in there. I, 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 I very seldom cut anything from the show, so there's a good chance <laughs> it it's so still weird. in there. I still can't think of a director who makes long, boring movies, and I, for some reason, I, I think of Adam Sandler as a, as a like, a, like a, what do you call it? What's the word? Um, oh, uh, what is the word where the director is the end, the total, the, uh, what's that theory about the director being, like, the center of the whole thing? Oh, fuck. Um... <laughs> I'm going to take you down with me on this burning (laughs) ship of can't remember shit because I'm in my 40s now. Anyway, fuck. Um, And then on this episode, I'm like talking about Rob Zombie. So, dude, I'm screwed. So, folks, (laughs) ignore those statements. And uh, I wrote a book called Giallo Meltdown, a movie-thon diary. It's available on Amazon. It's all about me watching too many Giallos in a row. Mm. It is by a fan of the genre, not a uh, uh, an expert in well, anything. And uh, I also do a podcast over on Legion Podcast called Hello, This is the Doomed Show. And we talk about Giallo and slashers. And sometimes we do uh, freaking Japanese horror. We just did an episode on Haosu. Oh, love that movie. Which, <laughs> speaking of being in over your head <laughs> on a movie... Autour. It's the Autour theory. Yes. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, that dude, uh, Obayashi, is totally a freaking Autour. Yeah. Uh, if there ever was one. Mm. And yeah, those are the things I do. Nice, nice. Ladies and gents, go and support this man's work. It's always a pleasure chatting to you, my friend. We have. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Oh, no. Like, this was like when the, the idea of Peter Strickland for season two came up there was only I told you there was only one one person that came to the top of that list and that was Richard and I was like we need to do this and uh, this conversation was everything I thought it was going to be and more mm-hmm. um, yeah you, we will be back in one month's time to bring you a little bit of the Duke of Burgundy until then wherever you are folks take care of yourselves we'll speak to you next time <laughs> <laughs>